Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to worship this morning on this beautiful, sunny Palm Sunday as we come together as God's people. Please stand and join us. We're going to begin <laughs> with a Palm Sunday call to worship. And we'll raise our voices over the precious children in the foyer. <laughs> As the time came for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. People spread their cloaks out, their cloaks in the road, while others cut up branches from the trees and spread them on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to all of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest.
Lord, we do proclaim Hosanna. Highest honor and praise and glory are yours. And we join in the voices of those centuries ago who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. Thank you for being present with us today. And may our worship reflect the joy in our hearts of who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. It's great to see each one of you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here. You know, standing in the back when we uh, were starting today, and it was kind of noisy, and the kids were excited, and it was a little hard to hear, and I thought to myself, I think that's a lot of what probably that first Palm Sunday was. It was just noise and excitement and joy, and I, you know, the people were trying to quiet the children, but, you know, sometimes you just can't quiet the praise and the, and the worship, and it was awesome. So it's always exciting uh, when, we, when we gather, and I love to see the children participating and being so excited about being a part of worship as they have been this morning. Uh, I want to just say a quick word to you of how much Cindy and I feel supported and loved by you as a congregation, uh, just regularly, but just in particular after the vote last week, and we are very excited to, and and quickly wanted to accept that, your call to us to continue on in ministry here, and we look forward to uh, many, uh, many days and and years ahead of ministry as uh, we serve the Lord and and work in ministry together here, and we just want to thank you for your love and support, and uh, we're encouraged by that, and uh, thank you for your prayers as well for us and for the whole staff, and we're excited about uh, ministry in the future. Uh, There are a few things I want to highlight here in the bulletin tonight. Uh, At 5 o'clock, the choir is presenting the Rudder Requiem, which is uh, moving us into uh, the beginning of this Holy Week, and uh, we hope you'll join us. It might be a new experience for some of you, uh, but uh, I think it will be a powerful time as God speaks to us through this music. Uh, Also, uh, you see that next Sunday being Easter, we have some need of teachers and aides for Children's Church and during May. And if you can help with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Also, there's an insert in your bulletin about working in the nursery, May through September, primarily while college students are gone. And any help and assistance you can give with that would also be greatly appreciated. Uh, we are welcoming you to uh, donate uh, plants for next Sunday for Easter. And you see information in the bulletin about doing that. Uh, this is the, uh, the beginning of what the church calls Holy Week, and there are some special things going on, as you see in the bulletin. Uh, we'll not have any activities on Wednesday night of this week, but Thursday is our annual Monday Thursday service at 7 o'clock. And this is a, a time for reflecting. It's a very quiet, contemplative service as uh, we ponder that uh, last night of Jesus' life with his disciples. Uh, we will share communion together. We will also have a service of tenebrae, of lights. And the reading of the scriptures that lead up to the death and burial of Christ. We hope you can join us. Friday, we are again uh, offering a, the uh, Journey to the Cross 
event that will take place in the church gym directly behind us here. You can come anytime between 10 in the morning and 6 in the evening. And uh, it is just a, a walkthrough of destinations there. Uh, the gym will be have stations and places where you can come. Different, each of them representing uh, events in those last hours of Jesus' life. And so we, uh, we invite you to be a part of that. You can stay as little or as long as you want. Uh, as you see from some of the pictures, they're a little bit dark. But uh, we welcome children to come as well. Uh, you probably want a little supervision if they're young children. But we are uh, especially preparing some materials for children to participate. So we, we hope that you will be able to join us anytime between 10 and 6 on Friday. And then, of course, next Sunday is Easter, special a day of uh, services on Easter. And note the schedule. We'll begin at 745 with a service here, and that will uh, center around baptism. And we have some folks who are going to be baptized next week. A breakfast up on campus will follow afterwards, and then our worship service at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, so we hope you'll be able to participate in that. I do want to mention um, that uh, Lyndall Hutton, after a lengthy illness, died yesterday afternoon. And uh, I know that we want to pray for uh, his family. Uh, the uh, memorial service for Lyndall will be held in June. And that will coincide with a committal for uh, Ruth as well. And so that will be later. But there is going to be visitation this week where you can uh, meet with the family. Uh, they will be at the Copeland Williams Funeral Home Wednesday evening, 7 to 9 and Saturday, 2 to 4. And we'll post that on the church website and also on the Copeland Williams Funeral Home website as well. Uh, Wednesday, 7 to 9, and Saturday, 2 to 4. We are always uh, glad to give back to God in the ways in which he has blessed us. As the ushers come and assist us, we pray that God will receive our offerings in the spirit in which we give them. Jesus, how hast thou offended that we to judge thee, having hate pretended by
Come to God in prayer. The altar rail is open if you would like to come and offer your prayers to our holy God. Father, in this moment of silence, as we contemplate all that you've done for us in Christ, hear our prayers. Eternal God, we come before you with a mixture of feelings and certainly a need to confess our sins to you. We hear of the sufferings of Jesus and yet so often resist hardship for ourselves. We set high expectations for others, but resist them. For ourselves, we clamor for attention for our needs, but are often unfeeling about the needs of others. We are so often lenient with our own faults and severe with the faults of faults of others. We are weak when things go poorly, self-satisfied when they go well. We are quick to speak and slow to listen. We often judge on outward appearances before discovering the character within others. Father, be patient with us. Continue assisting us as you shape us into your image. Forgive our selfish ways. Lead us onward. As we follow you. 
And Father, make us ever aware that you extend your graciousness and your love to each of us. Father, we cannot pray for ourselves without praying for others. This morning, Father, we pray for those who are in need today. We think of Lyndall's family. We ask that you would comfort them in their grief and help them to know your mercy and grace upon them. We pray for all who are grieving this day and ask for your mercy in their hearts. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with concerns of health and, and issues that come to us in these, this fragile, difficult world. We pray for Jeannie and Donna and Bev and for Edna and Linda, for Micah and Bob, for Bill, Crystal, Emily, and for others who are in our hearts today. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face such great persecution. We think especially of the Christians in North Korea, where the church is, is persecuted so severely. We pray that you would give to them strength, give them faith in the midst of great difficulty. We ask that you would help them to know of the support and love of us and their brothers and sisters around the world. We pray, Father, that you would help them to know your presence in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Father, we pray that you will make us people who love you as we love others. Open our hearts to the needs of this world. Open our hearts to the needs of each other. Give us hearts that are committed to serving one another. Father, thank you for Christ who goes to the cross for us. As we move through this week, remembering some of these most significant events in the life of Christ, stir our hearts anew of your love for us, of your grace to us of your mercy upon us and the whole world. We pray all of this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. After our scripture reading, children's ages 2 through 4 can be dismissed for Children's Church and kinder through 3rd grade for Junior Church. Um, Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 22. Can you please rise for the reading of the gospel? Luke 22, 35 through 38, and then 47 through 53. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, 
he, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come with him, Am I leading a rebellion that you come with me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. The word of the Lord.
Father, speak into our hearts through your word as we continue in worship. Help us to be open to whatever your spirit wants to say to us. We pray this through Christ. Amen. What do, you, what do you do? How do you respond when a group of men surrounds a church, locks the doors, sets it on fire, and takes the lives of dozens of Christians worshiping inside? What do you do when... 
Muslim radicals on motorcycles come into a predominantly Christian village on motorcycles and spray AK-47 gunfire indiscriminately, leaving a carnage of men, women, and children. How do we respond to that? In places of the world where that's a reality, sometimes people flee. Sometimes people stand and fight. Sometimes people just stand and take it. And there are a variety of opinions about whether one way or another is right. And there are arguments for all. We don't face that kind of persecution typically in this world. We do face forms of opposition. I hear us talking more and more of... of, uh, the way our government responds to being a Christian in the public world and a sense of being limited about what we can say and what we can do and feeling as though sometimes our voices are trying to be silenced. How do we respond to that? What's, what's the right thing to do? Again, all kinds of opinions. And as we read through this passage in in the 22nd chapter of Luke, for some people, this is a a justification for how we respond. Jesus has gathered his disciples here in the upper room the last night of his life before he will be put on trial, tortured, eventually executed the next day. In In this room, he's shared with them the, the intimacies of his heart and his, his passion for them, his love for them, as recorded in the various Gospels. And Luke tells us that they, they share the Last Supper. He teaches them, and he comes to the end of their time in the room before they go to the Mount of Olives, and he will spend an hour or so in prayer, and then he will be arrested. He tells us, Luke tells us, that Jesus says to them, When I sent you out before, it's recorded in the 10th chapter of Luke. When I sent you out before, I told you, don't take anything with you. Don't take money. Don't take uh, supplies. Just go. When I sent you out like that, did you have any needs? They say, no, we didn't have any needs. He says, well, now when you go, if you have a purse, take it. If you have a bag for supplies, take it. If you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. And people read that and say, this tells us that we ought, our first response ought to be to opposition to fight. But is that really what Jesus means? Is Jesus saying to the disciples, everything I've taught you up to this point, forget Every way that I have reacted up to this point, ignore. The kingdom really is about being militaristic. The kingdom really is about taking up a sword and defending God in this world. Is that really what Jesus is saying? I don't think so. I think Jesus is saying to them, guys, things are going to be different than they were before. 
When you went out before, everyone welcomed you because they liked me. When the disciples go out in Luke 10, they're going out sort of as groupies to Jesus, the rock star. I mean, the people love Jesus. Everywhere he goes, they, they flock to him. They can't wait to get to him. And to find out that these are the inner circle surrounding Jesus, people flock to them too. When they go into a city and find out and people find out who they are, they say, here, let us feed you. Here, here's a room in our house. Here, we'll protect you as you travel from town to town. We've got your back. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he says, as Luke says, Jesus says in verse 37, now you, I will be numbered as a transgressor. I will be, a, a, I will be treated like a thief, a criminal. And he's quoting from Isaiah 53. And if that's the way they treat me, that's the way they're going to treat you. And you need to be prepared for that. He's simply saying the times they are changing. Guys, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's going to be different. People who treated you with hospitality are now going to treat you with hostility. People who welcomed you are going to reject you. People who gave you things are going to try to take things from you. You are going to move from people welcome to people who are public enemy number one because you're associated with me. And you need to understand that. It's going to be different. You're going to need some money to take care of yourself. You're going to need supplies to take care of yourself. You're going to need some protection from animals and perhaps from thieves on the road who are not attacking you because you're a follower of me, but just because you happen to be walking on that road. Times are different. At the end of this section, when he says, take a sword, if you don't have one, buy one. And the disciples say, look, Lord, we have two swords. And Jesus says to them, that's enough. Now, for a long time, I interpreted that as, okay, that's good, guys. Two swords are fine. We're good. If Jesus thinks two swords are going to protect them from the mob that's coming to arrest him, as they describe a few verses later, that have swords and clubs and all kinds of things, he's crazy. Two swords aren't going to do anything for them, much less to do anything about the entire mechanism of the Jewish leadership and the Roman Empire. Jesus is not saying, that's enough swords, that'll be fine. He's saying, that's enough talk about swords. In fact, the message interprets this, translates this. Look, Lord, we have two swords. And he says, enough sword talk. That's good. Stop talking about swords. It's not about swords. You totally missed my point. They're going to get it later as you see in the book of Acts. But right now, they, they miss it completely. Isn't it interesting that he talks about money and supplies and swords and the only thing they think about are the swords. And it's because we are trained just as they are trained by our culture to understand that strength rests in who has the power. We, we are strong when we have power. You get things done in the world when you have power. It's the people who have the might. It's the people who have the swords. It's the people who are the strongest and most powerful that get things done. They win. 
Our, their culture tells them that. Our culture tells, them, tells us that. That's why just a little bit before this, in the midst of all that Jesus is telling them, pouring out his heart to them, they get into this argument about who's the greatest. Who has the most power? Who has the most clout? And Jesus, you see Jesus shaking his head. Man, when are you guys going to get this? It's hard because their whole culture is designed around who has the power. And our whole culture is designed around who has the power too. And we continually fall into the trap of believing it's about who has the most swords. And we don't pick up usually as Christians defending Jesus, we don't usually pick up actual swords or guns or weapons But we have other swords. We use our tongues. We use our um, political clout. We use um, any way we can, who we know, how much we can accomplish, to in essence defend Jesus, the church, the kingdom. There are places in the world where people are persecuted severely. Where they are doing much the same thing, just in different ways. Uh, there is a, a movement in parts of Africa of what is called uh, not turning the third cheek. You know, Jesus says, you know, when your enemy strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the left as well. And they're basically saying to their persecutors, you can hit us on cheek the cheek once, and you can hit us on the cheek twice, but not the third time. You come at us the third time, we're not going to take it. We're going to fight back. And you need to know there are consequences if you come at us again. We're tired of taking it. And I think we need to be very careful about judging them. Even if we think that what that perspective is wrong, they're going through stuff that we know nothing about. Absolutely nothing about. And we need to be careful about how we judge them. But it's the natural, it's the natural human response to say, that's enough. There are places uh, in the world where Christians are even taking this further, where they're becoming vigilantes. And in essence, in response to the persecution, they are persecuting they're persecutors. They are terrorizing villages and leaving carnage. And quite frankly, it is, it is evil. And that obviously is wrong. But we need to be careful about how we judge them. Because we may not do what they're doing. But we still practice things in much similar ways. We still struggle with believing that the way you win, the way we do things is to fight. And the reason we do that is that underlying this whole idea of, of the natural human response is to fight is that the minute we are moving in that direction, the conversation becomes about rights. See, we're all about rights. But the, the, the most dangerous sentence in the world for a follower of Jesus is, I have a right to. That sentence is going to automatically lead us down a path that veers away from the cross and away from Christ. That's one of our favorite sayings. Quite frankly, it's one of my favorite sayings. 
I have a right to worship any way I want to. I have a right to worship where I want to. I have a right to display Christian symbols on my desk. I have a right to wear Christian jewelry. I have a right to say anything I want to to anyone about my faith. I have a right. And yes, in some we do have rights. We just choose not to take them. Because Jesus doesn't take them. Paul writes to us and writes in Philippians, Jesus who being in very nature God Every right to do whatever he wanted as God did not grasp at his divine nature, but made himself nothing, humbled himself, and went to the cross. We have rights. We just choose not to use them because Jesus doesn't use them. And a follower of Jesus says it's not about rights. It's not about power. It's about trusting Christ. So we have this underlying assumption that persecution, opposition is abnormal. It's bad. And our goal is to eliminate it. Now, I'm not saying that we walk into persecution, that we're looking around for someone who will persecute us, and we try to find them, and then we we incite them to persecute us. But quite frankly, when we read the Scriptures, it's pretty clear that opposition, persecution, is normal. Jesus writes in, in Matthew's Gospel... You will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. In John 15, he said, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. They hated me, both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what's written in their law. They hated me without reason. And Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you as though something strange were happening to you. We think... Persecution is something that we ought to eliminate and avoid. And granted, we don't walk into it. But actually, we ought to expect opposition. We're fighting against the evil one. He has power in this world. And he's going to oppose us. And we ought to expect it. And when we have this mindset that it is completely bad, it's completely to be avoided, it ought to be something that we're trying to, to get rid of as much as we can, that it's wrong... We set ourselves up for failure. And we send a message to people who are being persecuted, something's wrong with you. You John Wesley used to say that, uh, he used to question himself, his his relationship with God, if he hadn't been persecuted for a few days. Kind of a strange mindset about that. You know, if he hadn't, if he realized that it had been two or three days since anyone had thrown a, rotten vegetable at him or rocks or had had tried to to beat him up along the roadside, he'd stop and get on his knees and say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Is is something not right in my life that people aren't opposing me? I mean, we're thinking he's out of his mind. And yet, Jesus says, you ought to expect it. It's not abnormal, it's normal. Normal. The people in the world who face severe persecution, 
might well be the most normal Christians in the world. We're the ones who are atypical. We have so much freedom that we're spoiled. We take it for granted. And we've come to believe that that is the way it's supposed to be. And we give thanks for our freedoms and we are grateful to God for our freedom. But we don't want to take them for granted or send the message that this is normal. Glenn Penner, who spent a great deal of his life working with and for the persecuted church, once wrote, we fail to recognize that persecution is normative for the followers of Christ. Historically, missiologically, and scripturally. There is a clear scriptural link between persecution and discipleship. Indeed, he says, there can be no discipleship without persecution. To follow Jesus Christ is to join him in a cross-carrying journey of reconciling the world to the Father. Weakness, suffering, and sacrifice are God's modus operandi. This is how God accomplishes his work. A cross-centered gospel requires cross-carrying disciples. In many ways, it's what makes us disciples of Jesus. We're willing to carry our cross into the difficulties of life. As one African church leader said, Christians are those who carry Christ's cross on their shoulders until it leaves a mark. But what Jesus tells us here is not intended to create fear in us. It's intended to create an atmosphere of reliance upon God. He's intending to help his disciples realize that they're going to need to rely that much more on him because they're not going to be able to handle this on their own. You know, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, I'll go with you to death. And Jesus says, Peter, it's only going to be a few hours and you're going to deny you even know me. And you're all going to run. You don't realize how hard and difficult this is going to be. You need me. You need to rely on me. Unfortunately, too often we operate from a perspective of fear. I think that's why Peter draws his sword on the servant in the garden. And he swings it because it's out of fear that he does this. And we also respond out of fear. We feel like we have to defend Christ. We have to defend the church. We have to defend the kingdom. Because if we don't, it, it's, it's going to sink. It's going to disappear. We're going to be overcome. We're going to lose. We live with this sense of fear. And fear drives us to believe that we have to, to defend Christ. And we have to fight for Christ. And even if that means running over people for Christ. It's only when we're able to put aside our fear and rely on Christ that we recognize all of this preparation that we do, that Jesus is trying to instill in his disciples, this spirit of expectancy about opposition, is not so that we're ready to fight, it's so that we're ready to love. It's so that we're ready to respond in the way Christ does when opposition comes. Because the world isn't going to be changed by fighting, the world is going to be changed by loving. 
Anybody can fight. People do it all the time. That's the way most of the minds, the most common mindset of people in the world. You get your message across, you conquer, you win by fighting, by power. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not like that. My kingdom is about love. It's about forgiveness. It's about grace and mercy. It's a completely different perspective. And we're able to do this because we know Christ wins. We know that the kingdom is secure, even when it looks like it might not be. We know that the power and grace of God is stronger. And as Christians, our most powerful weapon is not our tongues. It's not our political clout. It's our love, our compassion, our forgiveness, our grace. It's trusting in Christ. Some of you are familiar with Joseph Son, who was one of the leaders of the Romanian church during the the years of communist persecution. He spent a lot of time in, in, um, in prison, tortured often by the secret police. He tells of one instance when uh, it was especially difficult. And the secret police were, were doing everything in their power to get him to recant his faith. And it was one particularly difficult day when he went back to his cell and he fell on his face before God. And he said, God, you're destroying me. I, don't, I can't do this anymore. And he said it was as though God spoke to him and said, Joseph, get up. Do you think the secret police are more powerful than the great king of the universe? And he got up with a newfound fear. Not a fear of those who were persecuting him, but an awe. A a sense of trust and reliance on the king. And the next time that he was interrogated... There was a power there that the interrogators hadn't seen before. And the chief interrogator said to him, Joseph, you are so stupid. I I ought to just kill you right now. And Joseph said, go right ahead. Killing me is your greatest weapon. And if you use your greatest weapon, it will allow me to use my greatest weapon. I said, what's your greatest weapon? He said, well... Your greatest weapon is to kill me. And my greatest weapon is to die. Because if I die, my blood is going to be sprinkled on every sermon I've ever preached. Every word I've ever said about what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's the difference between fear and trust. So what do we do? How do we respond to opposition? How do we respond to what we see happening to us and to Christ's believers throughout the world? Let me make a few suggestions. 
First of all, I think we need to prepare ourselves for expected opposition. Instead of a mindset that is shocked when people oppose us, we ought to prepare ourselves for that. You know, we're, we are so spoiled in, in the West. We really face very little opposition, but we do face some, and it's probably growing. So we need to be ready for it so that we don't respond in fear, but we respond in love and trust and in grace. Second, we need to be advocates for our brothers and sisters who face persecution that we can't really imagine. Let me encourage you to get on a mailing list, either by email or through, through uh, snail mail. For one, These are some organizations that you might want to think about. There's Barnabas Fund, Open Doors, Voice of the Martyrs. There are others, but these three who will give you insights about things that are happening with the church, how to pray, things that we can do to support our brothers and sisters who face horrific persecution in many places of the world. And to pray for God to give them strength in the midst of difficulties. And I'm convinced as we do that, God will use their testimony and their faith to strengthen us in our faith. I mean, there are times where we pray for the persecuted church And you're going to be seeing that regularly in our bulletins. We're going to be praying, continuing to pray regularly for the persecuted church. And there are many times when I offer those prayers and I have a sense of unworthiness about praying for them. I feel like they should be praying for me, for us. They know a depth of faith in God through what they are facing that I'm not sure we know. But we want to support them, pray for them any way we can to help them. And then we also need to be advocates really for all people who are oppressed. People who are vulnerable, the most vulnerable in the world and right around us. You know, I I read this week and I've had conversations with people about this as well that most of, the, most of the persecution that just you take persecution by Muslims. In 2012, I read just yesterday, 75% of the people who died from religious persecution were Muslims who were murdered by Muslims. Most, a greater majority of the persecution is toward people who are of a faith other than Christian. Now, Christians face a lot of persecution too, But in places of the world where Christians are making a strong influence, it's because they are are welcoming, they are supporting, they are helping people of other faiths, people who have different perspectives about lifestyles, people who see things about God and the world differently than they do, but they're oppressed people. And the Christians in those places are embracing them and welcoming them and helping them and supporting them. And it is creating a whole new environment about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not just about protecting ourselves. It's not just thinking about ourselves. It's about all people who are oppressed and vulnerable and in need. And that means us too. 
That we look around us and we see the people who are the most vulnerable. And even when we feel vulnerable ourselves, there are always other people who are more vulnerable than we are. That we become advocates for them. We become a voice for them in a world and in a system that typically takes advantage of them. And we step into the gap for them. We become a loving witness. We become a voice in their lives. And God will use what we do for them, I am convinced, to open people's eyes to what the kingdom is really about. Because I am convinced that love conquers hate. That serving is stronger than being served. That forgiveness and grace has more power than might. So this morning, each one of us has before us a call from God to prepare, to expect, to be a witness in this world in the name and grace and spirit of Christ who is defined in many ways by the cross. Father, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your power. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak in us, through us, Open our hearts to trust you, to be advocates for the needy people of this world, including our brothers and sisters. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.